Hello and welcome to episode 68 of the Fit Life Formula podcast. My name is Brian Sippets. I'm the founder and CEO of Advantage Personal Training in Ann Arbor, Michigan. At Advantage Personal Training, we help people between 35 and 65 to live more, play more, and feel strong so that they can be active with their family and friends and get back to doing the things that they love to do. On today's episode, we are talking to a new team member and a new resource that we have here at Advantage named Mary Baylog. Mary is a registered dietitian, and to be perfectly honest, we have never partnered with a dietitian before. And the reason is we just we haven't found the right one. And you know, a lot of times in in dietetics and in the dietitians world, and you'll hear a little bit of this in the conversation. A lot of it is, you know, numbers based or macros based. How much protein do you need? How much, you know, how many carbohydrates do you need? And what it what it does is it sucks the life out of food. Um, and so, for us to start programming, you know, uh, diets in that way, it's just it was never a road or never a road that I felt comfortable going down. But Mary has a really interesting approach and sort of a novel approach, which is sad because you know it's it's a it's not a novel concept but it's a novel approach to nutrition that really resonates with me and i think will do the most good for our members at advantage personal training so um before we get started with mary and we're really excited for this conversation before we get started though remember the fit life formula is three two one that's three days a week of something you love to do whether it's getting outside for uh, a walk, some sports, you know, go for a hike, um, take your dog for a run, whatever it might be, something you love to do. Two days a week of strength training. We need that resistance training to keep tissues strong and healthy. And then one workout that just sucks, that pushes you to your limits, that takes your heart rate sky high, that's hard to do, but um, keeps you pushing the limits and kind of establishing that higher end boundary of what your body can do. So three, two, one, three work, three uh, times a week, something that you love to do, two times a week strength training, one workout that just sucks. That said, we are getting ready to start a conversation with registered dietitian Mary Baylog, the newest team member here at Advantage, so we're super excited to get started. Let's go ahead and dig in. All right, hey everybody, welcome, and thank you so much to our guest today, Mary Baylog. Mary, You've, uh, we've introduced you a little bit in the intro, but uh, I'm so excited to get started with this conversation. I feel like we've had 30 mini conversations and I, and I hope we can get back to all of them here on the show, but um, thank you so much for joining. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk more and to get the word out there about the approach that I use. Yeah, and, and I guess we'll start there. I, we met um, in... I think we were, we were trying to figure it out. It might've been December of 2019. And I, I think I had gone to Argus Farm Stop where you um, are working, are currently working. Yeah. And was, I don't know, I, I forget what the goal was. I think the goal was just to learn a little bit more about the business and see if it's something that we could help in some way, shape or form. We were planning um, like a, an event though too, like a family event of some kind, or we wanted to anyway. Yeah. Well, and, and then obviously everything shut down about two months later, so we didn't ever get to that, but then fast forward, uh, two years to the family fitness festival and Argus, um, 
was there and you were there as a representative for Argus. And so we got chatting again. And then you actually came back to me about two or three weeks later. Um, and so it's just, it's gone from there. So we'll talk about your approach in, in just a, a little bit, but talk first about, or let's, let's hear first about kind of how you ended up where you are, sort of the, the academic pursuits that, that led you there, because I think our members would, would realize that we haven't ever partnered with a dietitian. And there's, mm -hmm. for me, there's reasons for that, um, but you're really different. So I want to know kind of where your, where your background is, where you're coming from and how you ended up uh, kind of where you are right now. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. I know that, you know, in my background as a dietitian, and you'll hear all about it, but my undergrad experience was much different than where I'm at now and how I'm working with food and looking at food. So I understand that some experiences with dietitians are, um, you know, they vary for sure. And it just depends on what their philosophy is and if it vibes with you or not. But, and so all of my experiences with food have really shaped who I am today as a practitioner. And I started like every other dietitian, I studied dietetics at Michigan State University and you have to earn a bachelor's degree before you can move on to complete a dietetic internship. So I did my four years at Michigan State, I graduated, and then there's a match program that assigns you to an internship that you have to apply and interview for. And so I got matched with Michigan Medicine, which is what brought me to Ann Arbor from East Lansing. Mm. So you have to then complete a year dietetic internship where you're working closely with different dietitians in various clinical settings and food service settings and community settings. So it's pretty rigorous. It's essentially full-time work, um, but you're basically like a student as well. So after my one-year internship, I took my exam. So you also have to take an exam to become registered and I passed. And then I started working as a clinical dietitian at Michigan Medicine. So Fortunately, I was able to stay in the place that I learned and trained with. So it was a smooth transition. I worked in a variety of settings starting out. I worked on the general medicine unit. So I saw all kinds of like cardiac patients and GI surgery patients and thoracic surgery patients. Um, but I eventually settled into a, a role with the adult bone marrow transplant unit at um, Michigan Medicine. So mm. I started in oncology. And I wow. loved working with that patient population so much. And I was fortunate to be with a really tight knit group of interdisciplinary professionals. So it was a lot of collaboration, which I liked. But as a clinical dietitian, your relationship with patients is pretty limited. Um, I was only inpatient. So I was seeing people when they were admitted for acute issues that they needed management for. And while I loved it, I really wanted to have those long-term relationships with patients. And I wanted to be able to work with them during a time where they're not so distressed, you know, like when you have a new diagnosis, when you're going through a health emergency, the last thing you want to talk about is nutrition education and food education. And, you know, I feel that I just, I want to be there to help you feel better and get out and get home. But at the same time, that means... I can't really work with you for a while and get to know you. Mm. So I decided to leave the clinical setting 
And I believed that working with food, actual food was a way, an interesting way to connect with people and to relate to people. And of course, in the hospital, you're not working with actual food. You're doing a lot of education and counseling and you're, you know, coaching them through the hospital food options and things of that nature, but you're not like, it's, it's a, a different type of environment, right? Than you're used to at home. So I wanted to find that practical way to connect with people, which brought me to pursuing my culinary arts degree. So rather than going back for a master's, I went back for a culinary arts degree at Schoolcraft College in Livonia. Mm. And that, that was pretty pivotal and life-changing in a sense, because it was, I don't want to say it was the opposite, but it was like the opposite approach to food than what I was used to as a dietitian, where now the only thing that matters is pleasure and the appearance of food, the quality of the mm. taste, um, how it smells, you know, all these different components that make food, you know, the thing that we enjoy. Whereas in my undergrad and in my background, nutrition was always a priority. So now I got to kind of round it out in a way where I was also considering, okay, well, food is important for other reasons. It's not just about nutrition. It's also about joy and satisfaction and sharing mm. meals with people and cooking for people you love. And it was, it just really resonated with me a lot. And especially growing up in a family who valued food and family meals and traditions, it was kind of like a way for me to bring that back into my life along with my dietitian background. So that was important. Um, what I always tell people one thing that stands out to me, I even wrote this down in my school notebook, like one, one note that I took during a lecture with a chef, he said, we're all going to die one day. So you might as well eat good food. And I was like, I have to write that down. <laughs> That's a writer downer. I was like, yes, chef, say more chef. <laughs> Cause it was just like, yeah, of course, like we should find time to maximize our quality of life and food can be a part of that. So from that, you know, during my time in culinary school, I was working with master chefs and bakers and pastry chefs. And I really gravitated towards pastries, which people loved. They were like, aren't you a dietitian? Should you really mm -hmm. be making pastries? And I'm like, yeah, of course. Like dessert is an important part of eating for like emotional reasons. And um, so it was really fun to start developing my dietitian philosophy as one that kind of pushes back on traditional like nutritionism which is really prevalent in the U.S. And we can talk more about that another time, but nutritionism is basically this like paradigm that prioritizes just the nutrition and sees food, sees the value of food only as the nutrition that it provides. Mm -hmm. So it's a very limited perspective on food, but it's one that the U.S. culture like generally subscribes to. And there's reasons for that, but we can talk more another time about that probably. <laughs> Um, well, I don't know. There's room for, I mean, there's room for a lot here in this episode, yeah. but, um, I'll tell you, you know, that's, that's so refreshing to hear. Um, and I never thought of it that way. That's, that's an interesting way to think about it is, is, you know, in really any academic, um, setting, especially, you know, in a science like dietetics, 
it's almost like you're leaving food out of the equation and you're talking about yeah. nutrients. Yeah. Um, and it sucks the joy right out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I never, I never actually thought about that and how interesting that difference is between, you know, dietetics and culinary. You'd think they'd go hand in hand, but not really. No. I mean, not to say that there isn't a room need for that, right? Like we have, we've gained so much knowledge and research in the nutrition area and it, it definitely helps. Um, you know, I, I practice medical nutrition therapy with folks. So we have science, um, because of nutrition where, you know, we're able to really, um, understand the nutrients of food and the mechanism of our body, um, that support good health. So it's definitely important, but again, it's, it can't be so all or nothing in black and white, which is a lot of people fall, what a lot of people fall into when they think of food for nutrition and health. Um, so going through culinary school was a way for me to expand my perspective And it was interesting because before that point, I was questioning whether dietetics was the right profession for me because I just didn't relate to a lot of the practices and the ideologies. And and we'll talk more about this later on too, but I even attended a conference on adult weight management that just felt really sterile and Mm. unrealistic with the recommendations they were providing And so that, so that was also amidst my culinary school time where I was just kind of shifting towards a more flexible approach towards food, incorporating joy and pleasure and satisfaction and like awareness about your food. Um, And just trying to expand my own relationship to food. And then ideally, you know, eventually hoping to pass that on to other people so they can have this more well-rounded approach to food as well. So I, I stayed in culinary school through school. I've started working at Argus farms, which you mentioned, and that was because I wanted to be in a place where I could learn about the food system, but I couldn't afford to get a master's in like food systems and public health. So this was my way of kind of Mm -hmm. surrounding myself with farmers in the area, getting to understand the local food system and I've loved it and I'm still there. It's been, I started working there in 2015, I think, wow. and they opened in 2014. So I've been there since like the early dawn of Argus and yeah. I've seen all the changes, but yeah. So that has been the other dimension of my practice of, you know, food justice and food sovereignty and food systems and like all these different components of food beyond the plate where we're now I'm now learning and familiar with um, like our food producers and our farmers and our artisans in the community the challenges that they face the issues with our industrial food system um, growing practices like so many other different pieces about food that I just hadn't learned much about in my undergrad so it was really helpful for me to now have this full picture of food where I'm learning about it and aware about food, you know, before it gets to you, when you're eating it, and then also like how you feel after you're eating it, if that makes sense. So all these different steps in the food system. Um, I, I have a, uh, <laughs> I, I have a question. It I'm feels weird to just later like I... tell my whole life story. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's what we're doing here. We're in, we're introducing yeah. you, but um, I will say, 
you know, you mentioned sort of the, the clinical feel of weight loss. And um, I think where I really, for me, I don't know if my, my, rea- my biggest, strongest reaction to you is when we started talking about, you know, we were sort of talking in the midst of this holiday hold'em challenge that we do, which is the only weight-based challenge that, that I've attempted. Mm-hmm. We've done it two years in a row, looking at, you know, the success and what people get out of it. It's been a home run. Um, but I feel when we do it, I feel, <clears throat> I feel like weight loss is, is kind of just the surface. It's like a cheap product. It's what everybody's talking about. So everybody recognizes it, but, you know, I think in order to, I think what people are most, oh man, this is really hard to say. I think on the surface, if you were to ask somebody, what's your biggest goal? They say, I want to lose 10 pounds. Mm-hmm. but I think so much more of it is I want to enjoy the food that I eat. I want mm-hmm. all the things that you were talking about. And so right. when you started talking about that and your approach to <clears throat> non-weight loss, weight loss, I don't, you, you have a way of saying it where it makes total sense to me. And obviously I'm not coming up with that <laughs> way right now, but yeah. Um, I will say when things really got into high gear for me and I started thinking like, oh my gosh, we need to have Mary as a resource is when I was just kind of saying like with this, with this holiday hold'em challenge, I don't feel I talk about weight loss very well. Um, And I think it's, you know, when you talk about weight loss, especially this time of year, it's, it's attention grabbing sometimes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's overstimulating. Sometimes it rubs people the wrong way. Um, each year that I've, I've, you know, sent out emails and information about the program, both years I've gotten kind of angry emails back. Mm. And for me, I'm like, I'm like, that's it. I'm not doing this anymore. I, yeah. Like, so you've got the same good, time, good feedback, but also negative Feedback. Right. And, and if we got, you know, 20 bits of good feedback, we got one negative feedback. And that wasn't, those weren't even people who were part of the program. Those were people who were getting the emails about joining the program. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's definitely something that is, um, it's painful for people. Um, yeah. And at the same time, I think here in, in this country, anyway, we've talked so much about weight loss. It just becomes the normal way that you talk about it. So Mm -hmm. when we talked about it, um, before, and you mentioned a little bit of this talk about, you know, and I think you mentioned it as intuitive eating. Mm -hmm. Um, so maybe define that for me, but also what is your non-diet approach to weight loss? Yeah. So First of all, I just want to say that anything that I do with clients is not grounded in weight. It's not, it's a non-weight centric approach. So, or a weight inclusive approach rather. So I don't say anything about weight loss because honestly, I can't predict what will happen to a person's weight. I tell people three things can happen. Your weight can go up, it can go down, or it might stay the same. And I kind of invite people to put weight on the back burner and to instead focus on the behaviors they want to be pursuing to feel better and then just see what happens. 
because, you know, what you are saying, you know, when people usually just automatically say, I want to lose 10 pounds and what that might really mean, that's the point, right? Is weight isn't a behavior. So if we're prescribing weight loss as a goal, what is like, what exists between point A and point B for people? And oftentimes it can range from maybe like small healthy changes to disordered eating to full-blown eating disorder. You know, we don't really know how people are getting from one point to another when we just say lose weight, you know? There might be people who have attempted to lose weight and are frustrated and really go to extreme measures to do that. So rather than focus on weight as the end goal, I recommend focusing on health promoting behaviors that have been proven to show benefits with um, physiological like health markers, emotional health, you know, all these different components of health and wellness, regardless of weight change or, you know, whatever their person's, the person's weight is. So things like eating more fruits and vegetables, incorporating more fiber, staying hydrated, getting enough sleep, managing stress, maintaining healthy social relationships and engagement, um, laughing enough, like you know, there's all these different things that we think about and know make us feel better, but they, those can get pushed to the side sometimes if weight is the only measure of progress and success and health. And, you know, we've, I'm sure, you know, people, I know people who have gone to pretty, um, extreme measures with food where maybe they're restricting calories. They don't feel well. They're, they're fasting for periods of time just to lose weight. They're not able to perform well at their job or focus. They are distracted or preoccupied by food. Um, they miss out on social events because they didn't, they have to get their workout in. Like there's all these different conflicts that happen then where people are doing the thing that they're told is healthy because they're going to try and achieve weight loss, but it's disrupting so much of their well-being and their life. And I'm here to offer this alternate approach that is backed by plenty of research to say like, hey, you don't have to go against your body. This isn't a way to work with your body and not against it and to understand how to eat in accordance with your hunger, your fullness cues, incorporate your food preferences and things you actually like eating, um, factor in like your budget, your schedule. So it's realistic and sustainable and also, you know, understand that our bodies are designed to manage flexible eating patterns. Like we don't have to be rigid at every meal in order to quote unquote, be healthy or have a good nutritional status. We, our bodies adapt to fluctuations in energy intake day to day. So even if one day you have like a giant meal for a holiday, if the next day you eat a consistent steady amount through the day, your body's going to manage that extra energy pretty well through um, different mechanisms that maybe speed up your metabolism slightly and use it up um, and vice versa. If you don't eat enough, your metabolism might slow down to kind of preserve energy. And we have research that shows intuitive eaters, which is something I'll explain more. Intuitive eaters generally are more weight stable because they're eating in accordance with their biology and their, our bodies have a pretty intelligent um, weight control mechanism that does the stuff, does work for us. 
I'm I'm sitting here thinking, why is something that is so to me this no. is like down the middle. It, it, it's 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 right down the middle. It's in it is well intuitive. It makes sense logically. Mm-hmm. Um, why is this so contrarian to you know? I, I, I just picture myself standing in the aisle of the supermarket or waiting to ch- check out at the supermarket and looking at any of the titles or the, the um, things on the front of the magazine, any of that mm-hmm. copy and, you know, lose inches and blah, blah, blah. And it's all these things that have nothing to do with what you were just talking about. Why mm-hmm. is this approach that is to, to me, fairly straightforward <laughs> why is that so contrarian and, and against what we're what people are being taught right now hmm. yeah I mean we so it's it's tied up a lot with our beauty standards right and that there's history so far back about like the ways um, you know, advertising is used to make us feel like we have to look a certain way in order to be worthy or have value or be attractive or whatever. So deep down, there are those desires that people have. And for, for whatever reason, you know, I don't know like what's dictating the beauty standards because they constantly change. Right. But whatever it is, like there is, um, a priority for to achieve thinness in our society. And there is actually lots of researchers who study this um, and it is linked to like capitalism and racism even, and just like the origins of the beliefs and values in the United States. And that's something that I can only speak so much on, but there are lots of interesting books that discuss that. such as like Anti-Diet by Christy Harrison, um, Fearing the Black Body by Dr. Sabrina Strings. Um, And so, so much of like our ideals correlate to our lifestyle, if that makes sense. So we are told that we have to look a certain way in order to exceed or succeed in our society and to get ahead. And that's what people, deep down are maybe aspiring to is this like unattainable beauty ideal. And the phrase that I use with clients and that you'll hear a lot from other non-diet dietitians is diet culture. And diet culture is essentially this belief um, that thinness is the ideal. And we're all trying to aspire to this thin ideal. And anything that you see that is making you feel like you have to lose weight or change your body or look a certain way is essentially diet culture. So lots of like heavy concepts and conversations happen for sure in this world, Um, but it's really hard to compartmentalize it because we don't live in a vacuum. So there's all these social influences, political influences, all these things wrapped up into where we are today with our relationship to our bodies and to food. Do you think there's room for talking about, <laughs> this is a very selfish question. Do you think there's, um, do you think there's room for 
talking about weight on the front end and having a health-based approach on the back end or or by referencing weight are we it can interfere stamping it as that it can definitely perpetuate diet thoughts for sure so when I'm working with someone, I'm trying to break the diet cycle or the binge and restrict cycle. And this is a cycle that many people are familiar with where it starts with the diet thought, which is usually I need to be thinner for whatever reason, or I need to lose weight. And so then from there you think, okay, I'm going to go on a diet and I'm going to maybe restrict food groups, or I'm going to restrict calories, or I'm going to try and like compensate with what I eat through exercise. So you're going, you're entering this like contentious situation where you are trying to restrict food, but biologically and psychologically that doesn't work. And there's lots of reasons why we have lots of research to show what happens when you're restricting physically and mentally essentially like putting rules on yourself or just not eating enough calories physically. Um, So what happens when they try to restrict, eventually you can only go so far. There might be that day where you're really stressed or you're tired, or you just have a craving for the thing that isn't allowed on the diet. So what happens is, you know, generally uh, this person might eat the food that's off limits And in the research, there's actually an effect called the what the hell effect, where if people perceive, even just perceive that they've blown the diet, um, it usually causes them to go into this, this period of eating where they're like, whatever, I'll just eat everything that's off limits. I want to enjoy all the things I, I want to today. And then tomorrow I'll try again, you know? So then aside from this, there might be this period of overeating, which I define as just eating to the point of discomfort. You know, everyone's threshold is different, but if you're eating to the point where you don't feel well, you feel sick, that's obviously not what we want. So aside from that, there might be those feelings of guilt or shame that then get piled on because when you're eating bad foods, quote unquote, instead of good food, you attach that sense of morality to yourself too sometimes where now you feel like a bad person for eating these bad foods. And it just kind of doubles down on the negative experience with food. And then again, what will fix this? A diet. So most people then try again on Monday or try again on New Year's Day or you know whatever next point is in the future. Um, and the cycle kind of perpetuates and repeats itself. And The reason why this happens has nothing to do with an individual's character or a sense of willpower, which is often the stigma that gets associated with people in larger bodies, unfortunately, in our society. So there's something called weight stigma, which is a whole nother conversation in itself that gets perpetuated even, you know, not trying to, just by the act of trying to lose weight and shrink your body you can potentially be promoting like weight stigma for someone else in a larger body. So it's complicated and um, yeah, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough thing to break because we're told over and over that this is what we need to do to be healthy, to be beautiful, to be accepted, to be whatever, you know? So it's really about 
getting to the source of that desire to lose weight. And then from there, we can um, parse out some different strategies for managing whatever it is you actually want to improve. <laughs> I'm rethinking like, <clears throat> Not not only the holiday hold'em challenge, which you know we've I've talked about with you in terms of like I'm not sure how to approach this, um, but I'm also rethinking like <laughs> the fitness industry as a whole and our part in this. And um, yeah. you know, are we doing are we doing our part to? I think we are because my my thought process is along those lines of of weight inclusive, mm -hmm. of being weight inclusive. But are we doing enough to, you know, try to try to get away from that in the fitness industry? Because I think that is the general feel of the, you know, I got to lose some weight. That means I go to the gym. But yeah, for us, that's not the understanding. The understanding is, you know, you go to the gym so that you can continue to do the physical things that you enjoy doing. Yeah. Well, I first want to just take that pressure off of you. And I do this with, I say this to all my clients too. Like we, again, we're not existing in a vacuum. It's not just us making decisions. Like we are a part of a larger system. I think that on one hand, like you, you want to feel empowered to make the changes that you feel like need to happen in society, but also acknowledge like it's a systemic influence. So it's not your fault that like we're here, right? You know, we're all doing the best we can with the information we have at any given time. And it's the same with folks who have been dining over and over again. They're doing what is best, what was best for them at that time with what they knew and what they were being told. But now we just have so much more research on the negative risks of, of restrictive dieting and attempted weight loss, intentional weight loss. Um, and it's just a matter of understanding what our weight centric notion of health has done to people and now finding a path forward. And that's, you know, the best that we can do. Well, that's why it's so important that we have you as a part of the team now. And I'm, I'm super excited to not only introduce you to our listeners and our community at advantage, but, um, to really kind of dig into to that and, and make sure that we're doing the things that we need to do, um, to move forward in that positive way. I, I think, you know, like I said earlier, we have not partnered with a dietitian. If someone asked us for nutrition help, I certainly feel qualified to offer nutritional help coaching. Even, um, I'm certified to do it, but it never seemed hundred percent right. Um, mm -hmm. to me, this, this seems right. And I think, for us to have you as a resource is, is huge right now. So what's going to actually happen is you're going to be kind of chiming in and, and communicating with the advantage community every other week. Right. So we have, um, we'll have a, a different topic kind of tackled in a, in an email. Um, and the other thing that that's going to be happening is every quarter you're going to come in for a, for a seminar of sorts. T talk a little bit about, what we might expect um, from the emails and kind of in a seminar format. Sure. Um, so the practice, the frameworks that I reference in my care with clients are called intuitive eating and health at every size. So a lot of my seminars and, you know, one-on-one -on -one counseling and group coaching work 
revolves around those frameworks. And, you know, when we, when we talk about intuitive eating, this is referencing um, what I like to call and what others have called a self-care eating framework. And it's a set of 10 principles that revolve around eating patterns, movement, um, body image, and it was developed. Well, yeah, it, the first book was written in the 90s by two registered dietitians who are eating disorder specialists, Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. So they had been working in private practice for a while. They worked with countless people who were frustrated with diets, they weren't working, they couldn't find a solution or a path forward. And so they really wanted to understand like why, why were people pursuing dieting if it wasn't working, what else can they do instead? And so they spent lots of time scouring research and working with other specialists to understand the weight science, the psychology, um, the nutrition and health component. And they developed, they wrote this book. And that was the result of all their work. And um, I can list the 10 principles if that would be helpful, but. Not right now. Nope, okay. people are gonna yeah. have to hang around. Right, yeah, we'll show, we'll show more, share more in the future, but. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that is the basis of my work is kind of helping people shift towards this intuitive eating mindset, which generally means, you know, shifting away from external cues for eat that dictate your eating choices and, and moving towards internal eating cues. So external eating cues might mean like a diet plan, a calorie goal, a point system that you're just counting carbs or macros or whatever it may be. Um, using some time, like intermittent fasting time schedule, right? So those external cues have nothing to do with what you're actually feeling during the day, um, with what's going on in your schedule. And so it might be incompatible and conflict, you know, where now, again, you're not feeling well, you're not performing well, you're distracted, you're hungry, and you can't do what you need to do. So the, the contrast to that would be intuitive eating, where you're learning, you're relearning rather how to really honor your hunger, your natural hunger cues. Um, you're noticing what comfortable fullness feels like. You're bringing awareness to any emotional eating or stress eating that happens and maybe building out your coping to tool set to better take care of yourself. Um, you're learning how to practice joyful movement so that exercise is a form of self-care and not punishment. Um, all these different components that are really related to how you eat and why you eat and where you eat and who you eat with rather than just what you eat, because there's so much more to explore from that. So my, the programs that we'll be offering will revolve around this type of material. And again, it's, um, it's been proven to have many health benefits. There's over 150 studies now on intuitive eating, which is great. And there's more and more health professionals getting on board with this movement towards health at every size so that we can really prioritize people's mental well-being and physical well-being, which often gets um, in negatively impacted by dieting. And that can be another conversation. It's just like the research of dieting and intentional weight loss. Well, obviously there, there's, we could take any of the single things that you mentioned there and dive in um, to those for entire episodes or even more than episodes. But I think 
I want to I want to wrap up just um, two things here. One question, which is not a probably a, a quick or easy question. I said I wasn't going to give you any hard questions, but this is a hard might be a hard question. Um, so, oh <laughs> do you think? Let's say, let's go back to desserts. You know, you talked about pastries. Mm-hmm. Do you think that a pastry can have a different effect? on your body if you if you eat it with let's say two different mindsets one yeah. mindset being oh that was yeah. easy that was an easy question <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um how can i put this so when you are part of intuitive eating one of the principles is made peace with food and in making peace with food you're challenging any food beliefs or food rules you have with um, that interfere or strain your relationship to that, to particular foods. So for instance, if a pastry is on your forbidden food list, if it's quote unquote, a trigger food, meaning like it's the thing you don't keep in the house, because if it were in the house, you're going to lose control around it. You feel like you might overeat it. Um, You just, you don't trust yourself around it. And so when you're, when you're sitting when you know, when you've kind of reinforced this negative relationship to this food, you're building up a lot of emotional context around this food and you're not letting it just exist as a pastry. And now when you sit down and you're, you have someone serves cake at a party and you know you don't eat cake, you haven't had cake in a while because you're dieting, it's off limits, it's a bad food, it's all those negative things in your head. And now you're thinking about it and you can either eat it in a state of anxiety where you're preoccupied by these negative diet thoughts. You feel guilty about it. Your body is essentially in like a fight or flight mode where the digestion is not um, working as well as it could be. It's kind of like shut down a little bit as your body's in this elevated state. And that can happen if there's a lot of really anxious thoughts around food and there is a high correlation and prevalence of GI issues with folks who have disordered eating or eating disorders. So when you are relaxed, when you feel pleasant and content with your food choices, when you're eating food, you actually enjoy and want to eat, you digest it better and you absorb more nutrients. So there is something to be said about, there's a lot to be said actually about like your mindset around the foods that you're choosing and how you can start to shift that to really have a positive relationship. So does that make sense? Is that what you're asking? Or are you thinking more about like a pastry versus like whole grain bread? No, no, no. Because I think that's where everybody goes, right? Yeah. Um, The idea that I don't, I shouldn't have this pastry. So I'm going to substitute something that is Right. Yeah. So we call that like, um, like, uh, satisfaction, starvation, or like the satisfaction void where you try to sub in this quote unquote healthier item to feel better about yourself, but it doesn't quite hit the spot. Mm -hmm. So every time that you ignore your craving and substitute it with something else, you don't, you don't feel satisfied. You don't feel satisfied. So when we talk about another principle, which is like honoring or respecting your fullness, we're focusing on physical satiety, 
but sensory satiety is another component of pleasure and well-being. So it matters. And that's why I was always pro-dessert because I don't know anyone who could go their whole life without eating something sweet. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's just part of our human experience to enjoy something like that for special occasions or for celebrations or every night after dinner, you might need something a little sweet and that's okay. The more likely, the more that you honor those cravings when they happen, the more you'll prevent having those binge episodes because you're kind of just nipping it in the bud um, versus restricting yourself. And we know that the longer, of, the longer a restriction period, the more stronger a compensatory eating episode may be or more extreme it may feel. Well, I have a lot to learn. We, we all have a lot to learn. Um, and so that's why I'm excited that, that you're on board and going to be contributing and be there for a resource for us. Uh, we mentioned the things that you'll be doing at the gym, but what we're also going to be doing is if you're, if you're listening or if you're part of the advantage community, um, we're going to have ways, a couple different ways for you to get involved with Marion. And I think the, the way to, to dip your toe in the water is to attend a seminar. Um, or be, you know, a reader of the every other Wednesday newsletter that that will provide that that Mary's written, but that that I'm sending out. So that's that's kind of the way to dip your toe in the water, see if this is for you, um, and experience some of this. Because, like I said, the the mindset of this to me is so refreshing, um, and just I don't know. I think it's it's Mary. You're putting words to what I've what I've felt for a long time, mm -hmm. um, but just haven't quite had the words to. Yay. To I know that's part of it. it is where, I mean, language is powerful. And one of my favorite things to do with clients is to say like, how can you describe this food without using any diet terms? And it kind of just like changes everything. And mm. when we give ourselves a language to talk about food and health and our bodies in a new and compassionate way, it totally flips everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we look forward to your contributions and, you know, like I said, if you're listening and you, you would like to dip your toe in the water and check it out, I think the first place to start would be the emails of the seminars that are going to be live, hopefully live, um, you know, given the local situation at that time, but, um, we're also going to be doing a couple of different coaching programs and counseling programs. So, um, if you want to do a little bit more than dip your toe in the water and you, you'd like a little bit of help with this or even some, some counseling, some one-on-one -on -one counseling, we're going to have opportunities for that as well. And, and, um, you know, Mary will be providing that for us. And, um, you know, all you need to do is, is talk with me or chat with Mary about it and we'll give you plenty of opportunities to do that. So, um, <clears throat> Mary, if, if somebody is like brain on fire right now, wants to reach out and get in touch with you because, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. And I need to learn more about this. What's the best way for people to reach out? I would suggest emailing me and we can set up a free 30 minute discovery call just to talk and learn more about what you're looking for and how I can help. And my email is Mary, M-A-R-Y at Mary Baylog, R-D-N.com. M-A-R-Y-B-A-L-O-G-R-D-N.com. We'll also probably post that somewhere so you don't have to try and type it out. 
in a panic yep. right now. We'll put it, we'll put it in the notes so they can refer back to the show notes and it'll be there. Um, and in the YouTube description. So, um, well, this is big, this has been great. And I, I knew this was going to go longer than our typical bite-sized episodes, but, um, it's been, you know, such a great conversation. And I think we're going to have to do this again in the yeah. future. Um, and also, you know, if you want to be a part of the advantage mailing list, if you're not already, um, you know, you'll get this, this content from Mary, uh, kind of tackling every other week, tackling one of these, one of these issues, one of these, um, I guess, philosophies or principles. So we look forward to that. Um, if you'd like to join the mailing list, just go to our website, reach out through the website and, and, uh, let me know that you'd like to be a part of the mailing list and you'll get this directly from Mary. But, um, I think that's a wrap. Did we miss anything, Mary, anything else you want to share? I mean, there's so much more to say, but <laughs> I a, I'll stop question. here. I really appreciate your questions. They, they're good questions. Thank you. Good. Well, um, I look forward to hearing more from you. Uh, we'll wrap up this episode, but um, we'll get started with the, the newsletter this week and we'll get going from there. So thanks so much for your time. And uh, it's been great to have you on. I look forward to talking a lot more in the future. Yes. Thanks again for having me. I hope everyone listening learned something new and I hope that we'll get to meet each other sometime soon. Absolutely. Okay. Take care, Mary. You too. All right. That's going to do it for episode 68 of the Fit Life Formula podcast. I want to thank Mary Baylog for coming on with us today and sharing some great insights. I know my brain is on fire after we talk. So I think this may have to be a, uh, a multiple time guest and we've got a lot of topics to dig into. Like I said earlier, I think it's it's incredible that it that this is a novel idea, that eating based on how you feel is a novel idea when it comes to, you know, dieting or weight loss or or whatever. I think we've been led to believe a lot of um, unhealthy things. So I'm excited for this healthy approach to to dieting or non-diet dieting. And uh, Mary's going to be an amazing resource for us going forward. So look for more conversations from her and also look for more uh, information coming out from Advantage Strength. So she's sharing a bi-weekly email with us, uh, a newsletter that's going to go out tackling one of these topics. So if you're interested, make sure you get in touch with me, Brian at Advantage Personal Training. Sorry, Brian at, advantage, at AdvantageStrength.com and uh, send me an email and we'll get you on the email list so that you get all of Mary's emails when they come out every other week. So that's a wrap for today. Thanks for hanging in there for a little bit longer than usual. And uh, we've been excited to bring you this information. I think we could have gone on for a few more hours, but um, yeah. So until next time, make sure you're following the Fit Life Formula. That's three days a week of something you love to do, two days a week of strength training, and one workout that just sucks. We'll talk to you next time.